Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Thank you for that. And, and music team, praise team, worship team. Those are, <laughs> that's kind of a, uh, we, we don't know what to think of, of terms like that, right? I, um, a few years ago, I took a, a sabbatical, and uh, it was a two-month sabbatical, and for the most part, we stayed local, and I was just, we were going to different churches for about eight weeks, and um, I didn't want to run into anybody I knew, so I went to churches that I, I didn't affiliate with. And, uh, and so they, were, they did things differently than, than uh, how most of, uh, I don't know most, but the, from the independent Baptist world that I, that I was from, and, uh, and they had their praise and worship team, what have you, and then I started to realize that the other independent Baptists, they have type, the same type of thing, but we don't, want, we don't want to call it a praise team, so we've come up with, I, th- I think, from, all, from what I understand, uh, the term frontline, I, I think that's, you know, we came up with that because we didn't want to use the term praise team, right, because it just... For, for a lot of people that uh, our worship team um, uh, has a connection that we're not comfortable with, and in particular, worship team, all right? And so I'd like to, the message I'll be preaching is entitled, It's Not All About the Heart. And it's a message about worship, actually. And so if, um, how I have it in my notes here, I have worship and then a dash, it's not all about the heart, all right? Now, I want to um, and I, I really, I'm not super comfortable preaching this way. I feel like I'm making a case for it. But, uh, but honestly, there's two really important principles about biblical worship um, that I, we need to implement into our lives. And, and for me, um, in particular, the second one was, was absolute life, life-changing. And, um, and so while I was on this sabbatical, um, like I said, going to different churches, churches that um, I... I probably even to this day wouldn't be super comfortable going to stylistically. I wasn't going to any churches that weren't um, uh, accurate doctrinally, but just stylistically just, just wasn't me. And, and so there was a, a term that, that really got my attention that, that they would use, and let's, let's all stand and worship. And I remember hearing that, and when, is that stand and worship? I, I think those are opposites, actually, to stand and worship. And so as part of the sabbatical, what I did is I decided to study worship. And the word worship or worship or worshiping occurs in Scripture, I think, 176 different times. And so um, I, I put together a, a list. I got a list together of, of every verse and would worship, 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 or worshiping um, occurs. And, and I said I was going to do, that was going to be my devotions for 30 days. I was going to read those, every single verse, um, for 30 days. And it only lasted maybe a week. Um, because, you know, reading verses not in their full context, it doesn't, you know, it's not super fun. And, uh, but it was still really important for me. It was the time, honestly, the, the truth is I was trying to figure out who I was biblically, what I truly believed biblically, right? And we're all going to have our preferences, right? We're all going to have stuff that, uh, uh, personal sensitivities and stuff. And I still have that, right? Um, but I wanted to be sure that the things that I believed um, the things that those hills that I said I would die on were truly worth dying on, right? And then the, these, these concepts are, were, were biblical. And so I took this deep dive into worship, 
And it really did something important and special in my heart, understanding and take a look, taking a look at what worship truly is from a, from a biblical standpoint. John chapter 4, verse number 24. Let's, let's, re, let's read the verse, and then I'll give you some context. We're going to jump around to three passages here. Oh, I just have two main points, all right? But I do want to, uh, to show you um, in depth, as, it, it, as deep as we can get on, on one Sunday night about worship. And it's really, it's not all about the heart. It's not all about the heart. John chapter 4, verse 24 says this, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just pray that you, you guide us, Lord. I, I pray this is something that doesn't turn into an argument of semantics, God, but, but Lord, that, that your word would teach us, would convict us, would challenge us, that we would change where we need to change, God. And I pray that you'd make that explosively evident in our hearts, Lord, through your word. Lord, we love you. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 4, some context. If you've grown up in church, you know about the Samaritan woman at the well. She's a, society, she's a, a reject of society because of her sin. And so she went and took care of a daily chore at a slow time where hopefully nobody would be around. She just didn't want to be seen or have any interactions with people. But she didn't realize that she was going to run into Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ tells her all about her life and calls out her sin. And, and she ends up challenging Jesus a little bit. And she starts to perceive that he's a prophet. Now, he, he, uh, she, she kind of misses it, right? But she at least knew that there was something special about this man and, and perceived that he was a prophet and, and challenged challenges him just a little bit and says that, you know, our, my, my fathers, our fathers worshiped on this very mountain, this mountain that they were standing on. They worship here, and Jesus Christ guess, exposes an issue that's been a challenge for really all of humanity, and that's man's desire to come to God and approach God, but not knowing exactly how we're supposed to do it. And with that genuine desire to come to God, we come up with our own ideas where, you know, the Bible, the, the Bible's pretty plain and clear of how he expects us to come to him, right? We, there's no need for us to make stuff up, but it's that desire. Yes, we want to come to God, but we have to be careful and, and be committed to Scripture and pleasing God scripturally. He laid, laid those things out to us. And so see, she says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain and and Jesus exposes that and says, no, no, hold on a second. They, they thought they were worshiping, in essence. You go back and read it. They didn't know what they were worshiping. It was like they were just throwing all kinds of stuff and, and hoping something stuck, right? You ever have a, um, a strong-willed child or a, or a child that needed some motivation, right? And, and you didn't know how to motivate them. And so you just started throwing different things, right? Whether it be money or, or, or privileges or what have you, or just, just, you know, just something to motivate them. You didn't know what, and just start throwing stuff out there and hope, hopefully, hoping that something would stick. And, and this is what Jesus Christ is talking about, these forefathers of this woman that would worship, but they weren't worshiping. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know who they were worshiping. And that's where that conversation went. And when Jesus Christ said, you know, there'll be a time where the true worshipers will worship. True worshipers will worship. And he reminds her that God is a spirit, and they that worship him will, should worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, a couple key words there. In spirit 
right? So us as human beings, we're, we're threefold, right? We have body, soul, and spirit. All of us have a body. All of us have a soul, right? And the soul is that eternal part of us that will either go to heaven or hell. Now, the spirit, not all human beings have a spirit because there are unbelievers. Their spirit is dead and is not quickened, not brought to life until the time of salvation. So it's the spirit is that part of us that is brought to life at the moment of salvation that allows us to commune with God. So we commune with God in the spirit when we're reading our Bible, when we're praying, and that's our communion with God. And so that's what makes us spiritual people is communing with God, right? It's not not necessarily just a, a list of do's or don'ts. Right? Being spiritual is communing with God, and that's that part. And so God, Jesus is saying, if we worship Him, it needs to be a spiritual experience. I'm not super comfortable using that word, right? It's a spiritual act. It's when we worship, it's a way of communing with God, right? And worship in spirit and in truth. Now, that word truth can be a little bit loaded as well. Now, I think the first thing we think of is doctrinal truth, and obviously that's absolutely right. I mean, Jesus Christ was calling out the the forefathers, the forebears. They were trying to worship, but they weren't doing it right. They didn't even know who they were worshiping. They They weren't doing it right. And so, obviously, our doctrine has to be right, but that word also, really important word, we're to worship Him truly, authentically. We're supposed to be real when we worship. There needs to be a realness when we worship God. So what is worship? So the first thing that stood out to me when I was studying worship is 176 verses, that there's only one verse that connects worship to singing. Just one out of 176. It's Psalm 66.4. And it it says this, all the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name, Selah. Right? So just the one verse. And interestingly, of those verses about worship that are in the Psalms, this is the only verse that ends with that word selah. That word selah means stop and pause and think about that. So there's other verses in Psalms that mention worship, but this is the only one that God said, hang on, stop, think about this. So there is this one verse about singing, but we go back to what Jesus Christ says about worshiping. We're to worship in spirit. Hold on, when we sing... We should be communing with God. So when we're singing corporately, when we have a song, it's not, we're not just passing time. We're not just killing time here, right? We're not, we're not, we're not, nobody's putting on, we shouldn't be putting on a show. When we're serving in choir, we're communing with God, right? So stop, hold on, think about it. Worship and sing, hold on, stop, and really think about it. I mean, we're, we're all guilty of just kind of going through the motions, right? We come to church, and, and it's easy to, here's the truth, and, and I'm not, you th- thank God for talented people, right? Praise God for talented people who love the Lord, but humanly speaking, talented people can be really distracting, because they're so talented, right? And you wonder, does Sandy ever miss a note? Is she ever flat? My goodness, Right? And just, they could be a distraction in that sense, but no, it's when we sing, Selah, just stop and think about the wonderful words that we're singing. Love how Pastor pointed out those powerful lyrics of the new song, 
what is that if, uh, if, if nature were to get fancy sound? What is it? What's the words? Creation were suddenly articulate. What a poem nature would write about God, right? What, what, an incred- what incredible literature um, God's creation would write about Him. And so stop and think about what we're singing and truly commune with God in that music. But so it's only that one verse, right? There's another verse that connects music, and we're going to go to there in just a minute, but more than singing or music, worship is connected to fear. It's connected to a physical posture of worshiping at his footstool, all right? A footstool, if you're going to get down to the footstool, we're going to get down, all right, to the footstool, right? And we talk, there's, a, there's trembling, all right, so we're going to see that much more often in Scripture about worship being a fearful thing and, and a posture that the word worship itself literally means to fall down, to fall down flat, right? It doesn't mean, it, in the Old Testament, I, I believe you get a sense, if you want to study that out too, when, when the Old Testament saints were, were told to worship God for the most part, other than Psalm 66, I don't believe they automatically thought they were going to start singing. In the Old Testament, when they were called to worship, they knew it was time to get into a certain physical posture and bow at God's footstool. Why? Because that's, I mean, we're talking about fear, you know, bowing is, is a, a pretty good picture of fear and reverence, right? And when, when Satan was tempting Jesus Christ, right, he was tempting Jesus Christ and said, if you worship me, I'll give you everything, Right? Was Satan, as he was tempting Jesus Christ, demanding Jesus Christ start serenading him? No. It's not what it was. Satan was trying to tempt Jesus Christ to bow down and worship him. When Job finally made his declaration that he was going to love and trust God, he worshiped. He fell down and worshiped. Didn't start a song service. And I'm not, like I said, I'm, I'm not against, I know that the vernacular changes and the semantics change, and, and if you choose to, to use worship as, you know, as singing, that, that's fine. I don't, I don't have an issue. I don't believe it's sinful, but, but can we take a, a look biblically, what does worship mean? And actually, as believers, do you actually ever worship? Actually ever worship? When's the last time you actually worshiped? I just want to show you two things here. All right? Would you go to Daniel chapter 3? Daniel chapter 3. Also, you got to think of the wise men going after the Christ, the Messiah. And they said they were there to worship. Were they coming to sing a cantata to him? No. That's not what it was. It wasn't, it wasn't about singing, right? There's a posture, too. I'll just go ahead and give you the two things. There's, in worship, there's, there's a posture. There's a physical posture. And number two, there's a sacrifice, biblically in worship. All right? So let's look at the posture real quick. In Daniel chapter 3, you probably know this, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, they created this image that at a certain point of the day when the music rang out, it was a signal for everyone to fall down and worship this image. All right? Daniel chapter 3, verse number 10. Thou, O king, has made a decree that that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, 
sultry, and you could giggle, it's okay, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. All right? So, for the most part here, these, these instruments, and I know uh, typically when we think of, oh, we're going to hear a, a lesson or message on worship, it's going to be about music. Typically, what this isn't a message on music, but since it's there, these instruments are interesting. Most of these intru- instruments are wind instruments or stringed instruments that, uh, that need to be plucked. And these are obviously, this is music to a false god, and there's no percussive instrument to this. So what I'm saying, if, you're, if there's no percussion, you're only worshiping a false god. I'm just saying, I'm kidding, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that. Interesting enough, though, Psalm 150 gives us music, instruments of which we praise God. You do have stringed instruments and wind instruments, and you have percussive instruments, the timbrel, which was a hand drum, so to, so, so to speak. But there are percussive instruments that are meant to be uh, stricken. They, they, you, you smack it to make a sound, right? And, and sometimes these instruments are meant to be played loud, right? Or high-sounding, high or, or just some type of... Um, clanging sound, and so when you look at Psalm 150 and and the types of instruments that are to be used to give praise to God, you have all of them, all of them, wind, string, percussive instruments. But here, for whatever reason, just Nebuchadnezzar just didn't include percussion in his little song time, music time. Verse number 11, and whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that that should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Verse 12. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That they, then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Two different concepts, service and worship. Now if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Love that answer. So we're not trying to be disrespectful, but we're not going to. And our God is able to deliver us out of this fiery fiery furnace, and he will deliver us. Wow. It's faith there, right? But they were not going to bow. Now, here's the thing. And this is, it's a common thing to say. You know, worship is a, it's an issue of the heart. Yeah, but it's not just about the heart. Because if it was just about the heart, the heart, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have saved themselves a whole lot of drama and just bowed and in their heart worshiped a God. Right? If it was just about the heart. But it's not. The action of itself is really important to God. Of course, the heart is most important, but the outward action is important too. It's right there. They could have just bowed and in their hearts worship God and everything would have been fine, right? No, it was important. 
Because all through scripture we see worship, worship, worship. And as the Old Testament, you know, people in the Old Testament, God's people, when they heard worship, they didn't hear sing. They didn't think sing. They think I'm going to bow and fall before my God because he is worthy of this. He requires this. And so one thing that I was struck, was it our first Tuesday night when Pastor Tice came, incredible message, and, and he talked about bowing in prayer, right? You, you, could, you could probably picture it. It was right here, just bowing in prayer. And what an important part of it. I, this, some years ago, I remember I'm making a commitment because uh, when we were at camp, there was a, a song, a very, very special song that was sung, Your Grace Still Amazes Me, and there's a lyric on that. And I've, I've always tried to really pay attention to music and say amen when I agree, when, when I'm blessed, right? And there was a, um, a lyric that says, each day I bow on my knees. And I wanted to say amen, but I was like, I can't say amen to that. I can't say, that's a good line. Each day I bow on my knees, but I can't say amen to that because that would be a lie because I don't bow every single day. And then to think about the millions of Muslims across the world who bow multiple times a day, all bowing the same direction. And guess what? That's biblical too. We talked about what worship, worshiping fear and at the foot still and worshiping towards the temple. I mean, we see it there. And I'm not saying to find which direction Israel is or wherever you're, you know, I'm not saying we, we need to do those things. I mean, but there's a, there's a, what a convicting thought that there are millions of people worshiping a false god, and they bow every day, multiple times per day, and they're known for it. And as believers, we think we've worshiped God when we've participated in the song service. But the posture, biblically, is very important as well. And I'm not saying everybody has to be like me, and you know, it just, you know, when I, in my, when I pray, I'm, I'm a, I'm expressive, I know. And I'm not saying everybody has to be like me. I'm not saying that. That's between me and God. That's one way. I mean, he does. He, he says in Scripture to, to raise, raise up, raise your hands. I mean, I, I can do that for you, Lord. There's a whole lot I can't do, but I, I can do that. If you want me to do this, I can offer this to you. Right? And, I, and don't, don't take that. I'm not saying you're... You're, you don't love God if you don't do that. If you do it like me or whatever, and if you're still like me, it's something, you know, you're, you're a one-hander or a double-hander or a double-hander with the eyes closed. I don't know. Hey, it's just, it's, we, we got in spirit and in truth, you be real. Don't be like anybody else. In our worship, it's in spirit, we are communing with God. And I, I will say this, I believe we, we really get into a, the realm of worship when Nobody else matters who's around us, and it's just us and God. And sometimes that's why I close my eyes to try to help me forget that there's nobody else here that matters. It's just Him. Now worship Him in my spirit, and I want to commune with Him as He's speaking to me through, through these songs. They're, they're incredible. They're amazing. And, and it's not just entertainment. These, these songs are admonishing me, and they're teaching me as, as the Word of God says they should do, and I, I should speak to myself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and I commune with God. And so the action, of course it's important, or, or God wouldn't have said it in Scripture. Bowing is important. 
And raising our hands is important. If you're not comfortable doing it around people, I, I'm not trying to pressure you into that. Maybe carve out a time somewhere at home in private with just God. If you can't do it around people, fine. Amen. But it is in the Bible. And maybe in some closet or some room or, or in the darkness of your backyard or wherever where nobody else can see you, it's fine. But God can see you. And he said to. And if he wants that, I'll give it to him. I can do this. And praise him and commune with him. Yes, of course, in my heart. But it's not just about the heart. It's not. It's not. We can have good intentions about reaching people with the gospel. And those good intentions are useless without the action. Right? You can have a heart for souls, but do you ever do the action part of it? Right? It's not just about the heart. Well, you go to Genesis chapter 22. You know, pastor, we'll get to Genesis. Where, where are you now, pastor? What chapter? Nine. So we'll get to Genesis 22 in a couple years, probably, right? So, 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 so yeah, so, amen, Pastor. Yeah. So it's okay for me to hit it now. So we'll, everybody will forget. So yeah, we'll get to Genesis 22. Amen. Genesis chapter 22. Puzzling story, right? I mean, you think about what the first time you, you read this story, like what in the world is God doing here? Why? You're reading through it, and you know that here's an older couple that they had prayed for this child in their old age, and God finally answers his prayer, and, and a great promise was given, and all of a sudden God says, okay, hold, I want you to take your son. And it's almost like it's, you know, the emotions are being really poured on your only son, the one who you love. It's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and you're going to take him, you're going you're to sacrifice him, you're going to kill him. Wow. In Genesis chapter 22, verse number 3, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place which God had told him. And on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, some people who were working with him, for him, helping him out, Abide you here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Was there any thinking at all when he said that? Me and the lad, we're going to go up to the mountain. We're going we're to sing. And that just wasn't, it wasn't part of the thinking because that's not what it is, right? They were going to go yonder and worship. What did that mean? And something was going to be sacrificed. So we've seen that part of worship, there's posture. There's a physical posture. Fall down and worship, Right? And also really, maybe the more important part of worship, the sacrifice. There's got to be some type of sacrifice. And so there's like a couple things that are striking. Remember, God said, kill your son. And so he said, we'll, we'll go, we'll, we'll come again to you. Was, was Abraham lying? He wasn't lying. But did Abraham have every intention of obeying God? Yes, he did. He did. I mean, we, we know the story. We, we know that he lifted up his, you know, lifted up the dagger and fully intended to plunge it into his son's heart and watch him bleed to die. He had every intention of being obedient to God. But he says, We're, I'm going to come back with him. He wasn't lying. But he had every intention to, 
to go through with it. But Hebrews 11, we compare scripture to scripture, tells us what was in Abraham's heart and his mind. He knew that God would at least raise him from the dead. That's what Hebrews 11 said. Wow. He was going to follow God, but he knew. He says, hold on. God promised. Hmm. I'm going to stop right there and we could just live life. God promised that through this child there would be a nation. So he has to live somehow. And even though it doesn't make sense, that, that, that was his best explanation in his mind. I'm going to obey him, but God promised. So I'm going to kill him. And God's going to raise him from the dead. He doesn't know the end of the story like we do. He didn't know that God was going to stop him. Wow. Wow. But God did stop him. And you look at verse number six. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they both of them together. They went both of them together. And I think we get this picture that Isaac was a young child, and more than likely not. He was probably older. Remember, if they're getting ready to sacrifice a a burnt, burnt offering of a whole human body, or I, I hate how gruesome it is, but you, you know what I'm saying, or, or an animal, it's going to be a lot of wood. More than likely, it's not an eight-year-old boy, probably a young man. And he's submitting to all this, right? He's submitting to all this. Verse number seven, and Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, my father, and I said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And I love this almost prophetic statement, right? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering, right? I know emphasis mine, but still I love the wording there, right? God will provide himself. Hmm. So they went to both of them together, verse number nine, and they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And we don't know exactly how that interaction went, but he did, he bound his son. Isaac's human, right? Or just knowing that, hey, this might go sideways and ties up his son. Hmm. Of course, I'd like to believe that Isaac just had faith as well and followed his father's faith and submitted to it, but but he was bound. Hmm. Verse number 10, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. That was in his heart, every intention to follow through and follow God. Now God stopped him, praise God for that. But remember, they went up there to worship. And so something still had to die. If they're gonna worship, something had to die. There's a song that hit me in my, and you, you know my testimony with depression and, and anxiety. A song entitled The Hurt and the Healer. It's by Mercy Me. And there's a lyric in there that really still, really touches me. It says, I'm alive even though a part of me has died. And really, if you just go into some of the physiology and mechanics of depression and anxiety, there, you know, there's parts of me that have died some of the emotional regulation, you see me. I'm an emotional wreck sometimes, right? I'm different from five years ago. So there's parts of me that I, I don't deal with stress as well as I used to. So there's just some parts of me that have, have died in a sense. But 
But also in that whole season and continuing season, there were some parts of me that had to die if I were to be used by God in the way he wanted me to use. There were ambitions that had to die. There was some judgmental ways of thinking that had to die. And one thing I could say about depression, panic attacks, it's going to filter everything down to what's really important. And people's opinions and preferences and hobby horses, I didn't care about anymore. I just needed to know what the Bible said. And that importance that I placed upon exterior things, or and like I said, the exterior is important, but secondary things, they had to die in me if God was going to use me in the way he wanted to use me. And so I ask you, when have you worshipped God? When you worship, remember, hey, they, they couldn't just say, hey, Abraham showed in his heart that he's willing to sacrifice to God and be done with. No, it, it wasn't just about the heart. Something still had to die. And so what is it in you or me that needs to die for us to be fully used by God? What ambitions do you have? Young person, what ambitions do you have, dreams that you have for yourself? And they, they might not, they're not sinful dreams, but it could be there's a young man, young lady in here, you have some ambitions and they're not bad. But God has so much more for you and they have to die for God to use you and bless you in such a special way. Mom and dad, what ambitions or dreams do you have for your child that has to die? I was in youth ministry for 18 years, and it's just a sad truth. And I understand we want our children to be able to take care of themselves and, you know, do it. It's always kind of a heartbreaking, you know, very heartbreaking when a young person just fell in love with Jesus so much that they give their life to serve him, surrender to go to the mission field or be in ministry, and then seeing mom and dad being disappointed. Why? Because mom and dad put a whole bunch of money in the bank for college, not for Bible college. I know not everybody's called to Bible college or ministry. I understand that. But mom and dad, if, if your child came to you and said they've given their life to Christ and they want to serve him with his life, would that break your heart? Maybe that needs to die in you. I'm asking you to worship God. I'm asking you to worship God. I mean, something has to die. Something has to die. Hey, we, we've got a whole bunch of people to reach in this world. And, and maybe there's, we're, we're standoffish because we have an idea of how people should need to look in church. And, and maybe we're more nervous with a certain type of people or how they look or what have you. And, and we're not as effective or what have you with, with talking to people or or trying to share the gospel with them. Why? Because we have some judgmental attitudes in here that need us to worship God, slay, kill. Maybe there's some judgmental attitudes that just need to die, to die. And so biblically speaking, this is worship. Would you, would you just consider when do you truly biblically worship God? Is there ever a time that you fulfill the posture 
that God wants to see in us. You, you can't read. I mean, you just, you don't have to read all 176. Maybe say you'll read 25 verses of worship and, and there's no way you'll be able to come, come away from that thinking, oh, God doesn't care whether I, I bow to him or not. It's there in scripture. If you just study worship and praise and all that, you, you wouldn't be able to come away from that thinking that God, you know, God doesn't care if I never raise my hands to him. I'm not saying you have to do it here publicly in church, but carve out a time when you're spending and communing with him and he, he wants it. And we can do that. But then the sacrifice part of worship, the sacrifice. We're to be living sacrifices, right? What in here has to die? Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.